Hello and welcome to the Women's Agenda podcast. My name is Angela Priestley. I'm the co-founder on Agenda Media, publisher of Women's Agenda, and I'm with my fellow co-founder, Tyler Lambert. Hello. Hello, hello. On the agenda today, we'll be talking about a government that is seemingly acting on women's workforce participation. That may not be the government that you're thinking. Threats against female politicians and why it has to end. Rebel Wilson and an interview with Winji Sampaio on all things female entrepreneurship. Thank you for listening. Well, hello, Tyler. I've caught you one last time before you <laughs> give birth. So it's all happening. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for making time. I said we'd keep it short and sharp because I know you have like a thousand things to do today. I really don't. I Well, I mean, I've got a few things to coordinate, but I've got one day of just being a lazy schmo before the chaos starts again. So no, I hope this won't be my last episode, but it might be for the short term at least. But it's nice to be on here one more time. Well, Thank you for taking the time out from your lazy schmo day, which sounds really <laughs> nice actually, but yeah, probably better not being pregnant to experience that lazy <laughs> schmo day, but let's get straight into it. So this week, later on in the episode, I will be sharing an interview that I did a few days ago with Winji Sampaio, who is the Global Program Director of the Cartier Women's Initiative. And she's based in Paris, so I got to speak to her from Paris, but we got to touch a little bit about her career in entrepreneurship and her passion for entrepreneurship and how the goal of really connecting female entrepreneurs all across the world and some of the joint experiences we've been through over the last couple of years. So it's a really interesting conversation. So I will be sharing that later on. And a big thank you to Cartier as well, because they're supporting this podcast, but particularly the section of the podcast where we do speak about wins for women this week. So the Cartier Women's Initiative is this global entrepreneurship program that we are really excited to be supporting also. And basically it champions women founders whose businesses have a social or environmental impact and the eligible businesses, so they must be not-for-profit in the early stages of growth and meet one of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And I discussed that with Windu, which we'll get to later on, but I love that last aspect of it. It is so much of what we stand for here on Women's Agenda and so much of what we know. So many female businesses here in Australia and New Zealand aim to address as well. So yeah, we'll get to that shortly. But in the meantime, Tala, what is your win? It's a bit of a left of field win, I guess you'd say. But last week, the Sydney Morning Herald published a very contentious article. It was pretty diabolical. Like, it's like the Sydney Morning Herald had the ultimate brain snap. But essentially, what happened was that they had found out some information about actor Rebel Wilson and her new relationship, which happens to be with a woman. And they decided that they would email Rebel's representatives and suggesting that she should basically come out within this piece and that they'd given her two days to comment on her new relationship. And she had opted not to do that and opted not to be outed by a mainstream news publication. Not to be outed as part of the gossip pages. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Just absolutely ridiculous, right? Anyway, so subsequently Rebel came out and she posted on her own Instagram page about her new relationship with fashion designer Ramona Agruma. And it was a really beautiful little post that she wrote about, you know, how she'd always thought that she'd be looking for a Disney prince, but it might have transpired that she was actually looking for a Disney princess. 
and she shared a little bit about their relationship and the life that they were building together. And after she posted this, the columnist at the centre of the outrage, Andrew Hornery, decided to write this piece where he slammed her decision to do that. It was just all kinds of wrong. He said, you know, that it was a big mistake that he'd given her the time to come and disclose it to Sydney Morning Herald and, you know, how dare she make this call to go on her own Instagram and, you know, talk about her relationship. She wasn't even given the opportunity to come out in her own terms if she wants to, you know. I mean, obviously people should have the right to talk about their sexuality if that's what compels them, you know. There shouldn't be an obligation on anyone to ever have to share anything to do with their personal life and the kind of expectation that she should have to do that because she's someone in the public eye is I thought was just really off. Anyway, what my win is, and sorry, this has taken me a little while to kind of spit out, but I guess my win is that I think that in years gone by, maybe a decade ago, someone like Andrew Hornery would have been able to write that column and people would have said, yeah, that's fair. Like, why wouldn't she have commented and maybe they would have Mm. judged her decision and talked negatively about her new relationship. And actually the response that followed, the public response that followed was really overwhelmingly in support of Rebel Wilson, just so critical of the Sydney Morning Herald and, you know, the editor Bevan Shields also kind of copped a lot of flack, I think very rightly. So they actually had to do quite a backflip, mea culpa, we got this wrong. Well, they never actually really explicitly said sorry about it, let's face it, but they did talk about how they had gotten certain aspects of that column wrong. Mm. But I just thought it was really encouraging to see that public response and the support for Rebel Wilson, who, you know, did come out and say, look, it's been a really hard time for me navigating this. And we never know the kind of trauma that that might put on people to have to come out in that way or Mm. not be able to do things on their own terms. So I like to see those kind of social shifts. Um, I thought it was really... Lovely. Yeah, I thought it was a win. And also, I thought Rebel, like what she did was a win. I mean, I hate that she got put in that spot, but she's just like, yeah, stuff you, I'm going to do this my way. And in Andrew's words, uh, she kazumped him on his story, which he later mm-hmm. removed because it was a ridiculous story. But I think it says a lot about like maybe also where gossip pages in mainstream newspapers will go. I, I don't really get the purpose of them anymore. Like we've got social media, we've got a thousand other avenues. Why not keep newspapers for news? But, you know, maybe that's going a little bit too far but I generally find gossip pages just kind of mean it's not even entertainment news it's it's literally someone's personal life and the Sydney Morning Herald got it so 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 wrong it was actually like unfathomable how wrong they got it but yeah I thought it was ultimately a really good social response to something that we're just not okay with anymore what's your win Ange? Well, it was that, but uh, I don't want to kazump your win, Tyler. So my win is a government that is making some progress on women's workforce participation. And I want to point to the New South Wales government. And I mean, we all had our opinions on Perrottet when he became a premier here, but what we're seeing is some real kind of progressive reforms coming out of this liberal New South Wales government and sort of a sense of urgency as well to get a lot of stuff done quite quickly. And one of those big things is around childcare. They're pushing to reduce childcare costs and 
boosts the number of places available for families and they're investing $5 billion investment into the sector. Now, traditionally, childcare is the domain of the federal government. So this is, I believe, yeah, it's a first for the New South Wales government to intervene like this, but it's acknowledging that there are what they call childcare deserts across this state where people just cannot get access to the childcare that they want or they can't afford to get access to the childcare that they need. And this is going to help support childcare operators to expand, to hire more staff, to build new centres. They're looking at creating 47,000 new places for children and help to save families thousands of dollars a year. And they've got the modelling around how this will further support women's workforce participation, get more women working if they're not already, but also enabling women who want to to work more hours also. And much of this comes from a recommendation from the Women's Economic Opportunities Review, which was chaired by President of Chief Executive Women, Sam Austin. And we we know how awesome Sam is and just how she's such a great person to put in that kind of role. And I just think back to the Morrison government of, of times now long gone, how imagine if they had someone like Sam supporting them and advising them on some of the initiatives that they could have done instead of that whatever women's task force was that yeah. absolutely nothing and no longer exists, thank God. So Pity is that they wouldn't have ever listened. So I think that that's probably the main issue. But this is huge, really. Like when we think about like what the federal government's policy is, and I think Labor's policy on childcare is ultimately you know, a really good, solid step in the right direction. But, you know, they've announced $5.5 billion. So the fact that New South Wales is putting the same figure against such, you know, a policy is really quite significant. Mm. And I do think that they're doing a lot here to recognise the plight of women and the frustrations of women that were very much highlighted at the last election. They know where the issues are. And, you know, Matt Keane, who's the treasurer, Bronnie Taylor, who's the women's minister, and, you know, Dominic Perrottet, in all fairness, are all coming to the party with and really kind of emphatically championing lots of different policies across women's health. You know, we saw their their investment in menopause, this around childcare. I think that they are putting their money where their mouth is and it's not tokenistic. So it's really good to see. Yes, it is. So on to our next story, we wanted to discuss a little bit more about, and this is increasingly globally, a really terrible situation that is occurring across many countries at the moment, and that is the threats that are being made against female politicians. And so we highlight this now. There's been a couple of things that have come out over the past week, including New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern and reports from the police there that threats against her have tripled in three years. So there's been 50 threats against Ardern this year compared to 18 in 2019 and 32 in 2020. There is data from IPU on 55 female MPs in 39 countries, which is also looking at some of the widespread and very much underreported problems of, they said that 20% of that sample have been subjected to acts of sexual violence and many others have been subjected to physical, sexual, psychological violence and threats as well. More than 40% of female MPs that have been interviewed by the Interparliamentary Union have received threats of death, rape, beatings, abduction uh, while serving in their terms, including threats to kidnap or kill their children. So this is a very just distressing and real issue that is occurring. And one locally here was from Dr Monique Ryan, the new member for Kuyong, who won that seat from the now former Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg. 
Now, she came out this week and said that her office has received threatening handwritten anonymous letters in their mailboxes. She says that they are misogynistic and they're threatening and she notes that people who have volunteered for her have been targeted and just people, you know, basically exercising their democratic rights are being targeted by these absolute cowards making these anonymous threats. This is just an awful situation and I mean, it speaks to the fact that, you know, we really want to see more women in politics. And we've had a bit of a win here in Australia the past few weeks, and especially with those teal independents. And I want to believe that this is a turning point. But then we also know, you know, once upon a time, we also had a female prime minister, and that wasn't a turning point for Australia. So what is? Yeah, I mean, it was a turning point in one sense, but yeah, not a particularly welcome one in lots of ways. This story is so confronting. And I mean, we see it to a certain extent ourselves. You know, we get emails about female politicians. We get emails about people that are, I guess, putting pressure on social issues, like public figures that are putting pressure on social issues from very angry, faceless men a lot of the time. And the things that they will write in and say and the language that's used is just horrifying. It would be a really kind of confronting, scary decision to make to go into politics as a woman, especially at this time, because, you know, while we've just spoken about some of the benefits of social media, I think that there are some really huge issues that need to be addressed there as well. And ultimately, it kind of comes down to what we do policy wise, because clearly there's not enough that's being done to address the gaps here or really kind of create true consequences for people that perpetrate this kind of behaviour. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the answer is. I guess, you know, we can sit here saying it has to stop, but I mean, it does have to stop. But I hope that the police just need to take it seriously, set examples and make it clear that this is not on because this kind of activity, we've seen some of the, the horror of where it can potentially end. And I just hope that every law enforcement agency is taking this as seriously as possible. And well done to Adern for commenting on it. She did comment on it yesterday and also for Dr. Monique Ryan, I think, for issuing a statement and a press release and highlighting the fact that it is happening. Yeah. So finally this week, I do want to cross to that interview. So as I mentioned, I did get to speak to Winji Sampeo earlier on in the week about women's entrepreneurship, particularly about Cartier's Women's Initiative and this prize program that they've put together and some of the goals of what they hope to offer to female entrepreneurs and some of the goals regarding how they want to support and connect more female entrepreneurs as well. So thank you to uh, Winji for the conversation and it was great to also learn more about her story about how she got into that incredible role also. So we'll cross to that interview now. Well, it is really great to be able to check in on the other side of the world. So it really yes. around this joint mission to support women in business and female entrepreneurs and all the amazing missions that we find that women in business pursue. So I want to ask about the initiative and learn a little bit more and particularly also learn more about the new awards that you're including to support us here in Australia and across New Zealand as well. But I might just start with you, first of all, just to get a little bit of background regarding your career and what led you to be working with this team to work on this initiative and really drive things forward for women entrepreneurs globally. 
Uh, sure. Well, thank you so much, Angela. I'm so happy to be here to have the chance to speak with everyone in Australia and, and also everyone tuning in to the uh, Women's Agenda podcast. Um, for me, I started my original career, my first career, I call it, in the capital markets. And I spent 15 years in different parts of the capital markets and really enjoyed it. And in my last role in the capital markets, I had a chance to really uh, work on a series of corporate innovation projects for a financial service firm. And it is via that that really at that time I had a chance to from a corporate's perspective, interact with a lot of entrepreneurs and bring entrepreneurship solutions to the world. And via that experience, we were working on a lot of financial inclusion uh, solution uh, via fintech. And what I noticed uh, was really that, well, uh, one is I was meeting many women entrepreneurs who were really interested in changing the world, be it social or environmental issues. Uh, but at the same time, there were really not many women in the entrepreneurship ecosystem. And so, um, this has led me to really sort of become very passionate and interested in this idea of, of basically the missing woman in the entrepreneurship ecosystem. And then, of course, that was about seven years ago now, Angela. And so um, since then, I have pivoted my career towards dedicating my work towards uh, supporting women impact entrepreneurs. And throughout the years, I have initially started with a venture capital impact investing uh, fund, uh, Next Wave Venture, which was a fund that was started by a series of women wanting to support women impact entrepreneurs. And then for personal reasons, I moved to Paris three years ago. And very, very serendipitously, I think uh, the universe called on me to meet the Cartier team. And initially, I started as a consultant with them, helping them think about the strategic direction of the initiative, and eventually joined the initiative as their program director three years ago. And so very, very happy to have the chance to do this work. And um, every day, I'm inspired by the many women entrepreneurs and many change makers in general that I, I have a chance to meet. And so, yeah, so excited to be here and also super excited about the women leaders in uh, the Oceania region in general. Yes, well, I can say they are amazing. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> can I ask about, so one of the eligibility criteria, at least, I mean, I, hmm. I believe this is across the initiative and I know it certainly is across the awards in Australia and New Zealand, is that, so it must be for profit, must be in the early stages of growth and meet one of the UN Sustainable Development Goals, which is just, yes. we just don't hear that as a criteria in many sorts of programs like this. It is really unique and I think it speaks to what we know happens is that a lot of women-owned businesses do meet these sustainable development goals. But can you talk me through what is behind that and also what are some of the businesses that you've come across and worked with, what have they been doing around aiming to meet those goals? Sure, yeah. So the genesis of the initiative, I would say there's sort of twofold. One is this idea of building an inclusive entrepreneurship ecosystem where we do not leave half of the ideas behind, basically, mm -hmm. um, and, um, and include women and, and other minorities into this entrepreneurship ecosystem to drive change that we want to see in the world. But the second part of this key core of our initiative is this idea that businesses are an important force for good. And we at Cartier uh, try to practice that within our own maison via our corporate commitments. We also try to practice that internally, of course, in how we run our business and et cetera. And so this is one of the reasons why in, in managing our program, we are looking for for-profit businesses that are trying to drive one of the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And of course, um, Angela, as you alluded to, actually many women are highly motivated to create social and environmental change. And this is one of the key reasons why we also believe that it is so important to make sure that woman is included in the entrepreneurship ecosystem because entrepreneurship is such an important driver of growth and innovation for every parts of the world, but also so um, this idea that for women to realize their full potential is actually for the world to realize their full potential. 
when we look back in the last uh, 15 years of our program, you know, we take a look at all the challenges that women tries to solve in the world. And when we look at all of the UN SDG goals, the top goals that women are trying to solve for are education, health care, greater economic development, and job stability. And so, again, these are important solutions to see the light of day. And so this is one of the reasons why we designed it, our program to be the way it, it is. Yeah, and so when you look at the website, I see how, you know, you've got the 17 listed issue areas there. But one thing that you do is you you list your alumni, previous award winners, and you note those specific areas at the top of their bios in terms of what they are seeking to achieve and what they are doing with their businesses. So, I mean, I'm looking at the homepage now and I encourage other people to do, but it's just great to see women businesses celebrated in this way. And I can see one here, a program called Maya, which is a food processing company. And you've got the three goals there of, you know, no poverty, industry innovation, infrastructure, responsible consumption and production. And just to see these really interesting, unique and innovative and successful businesses and acknowledging the work that they're doing, because at the end of the day, when it comes to some of these really big and critical challenges that we have ahead, we really need business on board to solve them. And so we really need to make sure, like you say, that that other half of the population is being given the opportunities to help come along and solve them. One thing you also mentioned at the top of the conversation and your experience and through your career And it's interesting, I mean, you're there in Paris, I'm here in Sydney, and your your program works with women all over the world. But yet we do hear the same challenges, I guess. And we do know that, you know, it's just 5% or even less in many places of investment is going to women. And that figure is slightly growing. We saw that in some places it actually went backwards during the pandemic. So this is an issue facing women all over the world. What do you think needs to change in order to see more investment come to women? And I know that, you know, one of the issues is VCs, of course, majority male, there's still that going on. But what can we do to make sure that more investment is coming to women, especially when we know the incredible things that female-owned businesses achieve? Yes, yeah, very important. And, I, you know, we call the triple burden for the woman mm-hmm. entrepreneurs. One is that their businesses are a challenge because they tend to stay small because many women start businesses, but because they lack access to the financing, they don't have the chance to really grow and scale up their business. And there's a huge internationalization gap between women and men who starts business. And no doubt it's because of the lack of financing to help them grow and fill that gap. Uh, the second is that um, women historically have been in certain industries, and those industries specifically have been more vulnerable uh, during the time of COVID, right? And yet they're sort of left out in other industries. And so the industry concentration also is a second burden for the women entrepreneurs. And the third burden, as you can imagine, is the family care, which is this idea that women tends to be the primary uh, parent or the what they call the first call parent, <laughs> even in you know uh, direct relationships, and then also, of course, caring for other family members. And so because of these three, it really creates a greater challenge and barrier for women entrepreneurs to really sort of reach their full goals of what they want to do with their business. And so what we recommend is really sort of different ways to solve those different challenges, right? I think as you correctly pointed out, I think given the financing gap uh, for women, there needs to be greater initiative around financing specifically for women entrepreneurs. And this needs to come from the traditional who is currently investing, which unfortunately, even 
in the investment management world, there's also a big imbalance between men and women, right? So we need more he for she, more gender lens investing. So people to be aware of the fact that, you know, hey, you're leaving a lot behind if you're not considering the full scope of the opportunities. And so gender lens investing is a really important piece of uh, solving, I would say, uh, the financing gap that women entrepreneurs face. Uh, we also need greater support and flexibility in how the future of work is for women, right? And this is specifically towards the idea of the fact that for women, family care is a big part of the responsibility. And, and in order to change that, we need uh, the future of work to be different. And we need greater participation from both parents to be supportive of family care responsibilities. And so this, again, will help propel also women uh, entrepreneurs to reach more of, of their work. And last but not least, you know, I talked a little bit about sort of the industry concentration. In order for women entrepreneurs to really realize their full potential, they need to have the opportunities across all the industry. And there are women interested in all the industry. It's just that because of the gender imbalances in many industries, for example, in high tech, in deep tech, in others, it creates challenges for women uh, to, to be involved and have leadership roles in those industries. And so I think greater awareness specifically in focusing in those highly scalable industries of the future will also be really important to ensure that woman has a really key place to play in the entrepreneurship ecosystem and also the opportunity to create the impact they want to see in the world. Mm, yes, yes, amazing. I love all of that. And when it comes to the entrepreneurship ecosystem, because I guess, you know, we talk about the ecosystem here in Australia and we talk about uh, what's going on in Silicon Valley and it's a global ecosystem, isn't it? And and yes. your program is global. And so I, I want to ask about the, I know obviously it would have been challenging over the past couple of years, but what sort of international connections do you see the alumni make? And I guess what kind of opportunities do you see there are for women own businesses to come together and support each other, not just locally in their own neighborhoods, in their own cities regionally, but also, you know, for us across Asia Pacific, into Europe, into the U.S. How can we all come together on this and really work together, be this amazing team that ultimately aims to drive these sustainable development goals? Yes. Well, I'm so glad you asked this because I think uh, this is one of the most, I think, inspiring part of the Cartier Women Initiative for myself. For me, uh, I mean, I originally uh, am from California, uh, from the U.S., moved to France uh, three years ago. And, and I would say, you know, um, my knowledge of the ecosystem is stronger in Europe, in North America and also previous to that in Asia. Um, when I moved to Europe and, and really had the chance to be involved with the Cartier Women Initiative, what I see is that actually women impact entrepreneurs in different parts of the world are still quite lonely in their journey, right? As you can imagine. And so this opportunity of the Cartier Women Initiative to build a fellowship and a community amongst all of them, where even when their challenges across the different communities are different, at least to have the solidarity and the sisterhood amongst different women impact entrepreneurs has been really incredible. And I see many of the fellows, um, when they first joined the program, you know, they were looking to benefit from both the financial capital support, as well as the fellowship support to gain their skills and, and build their um, expertise in entrepreneurship and impact uh, entrepreneurship specifically. At the end of the entre uh, fellowship and the community uh, uh, work, uh, it's usually their sisterhood that they have built amongst other women impact entrepreneurs has left a big place for the Cartier Women Initiative in their hearts and also meeting all the supporters of women impact entrepreneurs. And so as part of our community, we have many volunteers that are uh, jury members, coaches, uh, mentors for the women entrepreneurs. And we're now after 15 years around 
600 of these supporters. And for the fellows, I think it's also a very moving moment to know that, you know, even though in their times of challenges and difficulties in their respective businesses, to know that there's actually a global community that is, um, you know, reaching out and, and caring for, for the work and the change that they want to see in the world. And I know for the uh, fellows that are from the Oceania regions, uh, for us, they are connected with all of the different jury members, mentors, and other fellows from around the world who are uh, interested in causes that they're working on. And so that has been also really amazing to see. Well, thank you so much for your time and thank you for doing the work that you do with the initiative. And I think there'll be a lot of businesses here in Australia really excited to, to get involved. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. And um, Angela, I just want to mention that our call for application is open at the moment and it will be open until end of June. And so we look forward to um, many women impact entrepreneurs um, and impact entrepreneurs who might be qualified to uh, apply for our program. Excellent. Thank you. We'll be sharing the link. We've got a couple of stories on the initiative where we share it, but also in the notes of this podcast. So we'll make sure it gets out there. Thank you very much. Thank you. And that is it. So thank you for listening to the Women's Agenda podcast. Thank you, Tyla, for stepping in today and putting us on your list of like I say many 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 other things to do but you told me that you don't actually have anything to do so I'm like well maybe do you want to get in and publish some women's agenda stories but I'm (laughs) guessing you probably don't (laughs) I'll leave you to be to the final hours until you meet your baby all the best with it thank you yeah no it's been a pleasure and I will chat to you guys soon We'll talk again soon. And like I mentioned last week, we will have some guests joining us on the Women's Agenda podcast. So we'll still be in your feed and sharing all the latest stories from Women's Agenda. Thank you for listening to the Women's Agenda podcast and thank you to the support we've received from the Cardia Women's Initiative. This year's awards program marks an expansion of the program and the creation of a diversity, equity and inclusion award, which is open to all genders, as well as a new regional award exclusively for founders and entrepreneurs from Australia and New Zealand. So the applications are currently open. They're open until the end of June for the 2023 editions and there's lots of great prizes on offer. You can go and check them out at cardiawomensinitiative.com. You can also go and check out all the stories that we've discussed on our website at womensagenda.com.au. Thank you for listening.